we kind of want a lazy boy type faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with lazy boy furniture. If you get the ability to have some, that's awesome. Uh, whatever your, your method. There's nothing wrong with hoodies or orthotic implants in your shoes. There's nothing wrong with that to be comfortable. But that's for furniture. Having lazy boy furniture, is nothing wrong with that. But having lazy boy faith, that is never something the Bible condones. Now, I'm not going to change back into my other clothes because I've already changed this far. But you'll have to bear with me as we continue on in this lesson and this topic of comfort. What does the Bible say about comfort? Because we all want it, right? We want to be comfortable. We want to be content. We want to be happy. We want to be at peace. We want to feel good about what we're doing. And balancing that out with what God has called us to is is sometimes difficult. Because sometimes, if we're honest, when we're reading the Bible, we're like, whoa! That does not look comfortable. In fact, that makes me feel awkward. That is different from every way I've usually lived my life. Or from, if I'm honest, the way my emotions want to react in this moment. And then we look at some of the circumstances that we're placed in, and we wonder, God, why would you do this? Didn't you say you would give me the peace that surpasses all understanding, why am I not comfortable? Aren't you supposed to just make me happy and me be comfortable? Can I just don my tennis shoes, put on my pajama pants, recline, and just check out with you? And the answer to that is a resounding no. That we will find comfort in God. That we will find a peace that surpasses understanding, but it's going to surpass the understanding that we currently have about what peace looks like. It's going to surpass what comfort level we may have. And then when we go through affliction, we can even see that God has lessons that we are intended to learn in that. And Paul, the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is writing this letter of 2 Corinthians to ask the church to have their eyes opened to what God is doing and what God is calling to them to do in the light of ministry based on what He has done to minister to them. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Some churches, uh, Ecclesiastes Church, they call it 2 Corinthians. Um, but it's 2 Corinthians here, that's what we say it. Um, and it's funny that it's called 2 Corinthians because it's actually the fourth letter that we believe Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, he wrote about four letters over a period of a year and a half. And uh, we have two of those, First and Second Corinthians. The first letter we don't have, and it must not have been something that God says this is uh, inspired to, by it, to be kept and preserved for you. The, the third letter we don't have, it's not something that we consider to be inspired and God preserved for us. But the first, this, this, this second letter and the fourth letter, which we call First and Second Corinthians, no, this, it's, it's, it's incredibly confusing. Uh, these are inspired by God and useful to us. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and, and, and uh, help us look at God's Word together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're starting verse 3. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn in the Pew Bible there and page 1023. That's where it's going to be. And if you don't have a Bible that you can really understand at home, uh, take that. That's our gift to you. We want people to have a Bible in their, in their hands and ultimately in their hearts. So what better way for us to do that than to say, hey, these are not just ornamental. These are actually useful and resourceful. So they're for you if you don't have one. Um, so here we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. After Paul writes these greetings, 
um, to the church at Corinth. He's writing into them. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you all also share in the comfort. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And may we be reminded today that if this is your word, I am but just trying to teach from it. But I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work in spite of me. That way I may be skilled in some things, but Lord, it takes you to touch a heart. It takes you to, to move a spirit, to connect a soul. It takes you and your work and your wonder to draw someone to you. So I pray you would help me be faithful, but you would move through me. And that you would help us all learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. So, part of our heart and desire is to help people understand the Scripture. We believe that whenever you gain understanding of the Scripture, the, the Scripture is not something to be worshipped, but the God who gave it to us, He is worthy of worship. But when you understand the Scripture, that's where life change develops. It's where you actually say, aha, this is what it means to know God. This is what it means to know who He is, and to see what He's done, to hear what He says, and then be transformed by it. We're not transformed by any other fact in our life as deeply and truly, as it is that when God speaks to us. And in other words, when we understand this, when we look at God's Word, we start seeing what it says. And then when we study it together, we learn what it means. And then when we really look and, and, and apply it to our lives today, seeing its original root, then we can start saying, this is why it matters. But then it leaves us with this hanging question, what am I going to do about it? And if we're going to see what it says and what it means and how it applies, we've got to know some things. First of all, what author did God use? He used a man named Paul. Paul was radically changed by Jesus Christ. He was very zealous. He was very religious to begin with. So he was a very pious person. But God used an extraordinary, beautiful, grace-filled encounter to humble Paul. To actually afflict him for several days. But in that affliction, God comforted him and showed him grace and showed him purpose that was more than he had ever sought after in his life, even as pious as he was. And he dedicated his life from that moment to serving of the Lord. And eventually God called him to be one of the very first missionaries, him with a few other men. And they traveled parts of the known world, helping to found churches, helping to build churches and plant them where they had not yet been. All through the gospel, not built on Paul's name, but built on the teaching, the central foundation that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus does what he says he will do. And Paul's writing this letter to a church at Corinth, a city and a church that that he had worked in for 18 months out of his life, founding a church, building it up. And he's been writing these letters. He's been writing them for a purpose. 
You see, Paul loved this church. He's not writing these churches out of hate. He's not writing these churches out to slam them or to harm them. He's hoping to build them up. And sometimes, even with building up, he uses sharp words. And when he's writing this letter, this one of 2 Corinthians, it's different from the one of 1 Corinthians, but it's still complementary. It still follows it. He has heard from Titus about what God has been doing in the church at Corinth since they received that letter. That there has been an awakening that's been taking place. That people have opened their eyes and, and really repented and drawn near to the grace of God. They, they've really set their life to say, we don't want to be a part of division and divisive talk and party apathy. We don't want to be struggling with these difficulties. We don't want to be battling the sins that we keep doing and condoning those sins. And, and we don't want to distance ourselves from devotion. We don't want to have apathy toward, towards God's Word. We want to know what needs to be known. And we want to live what needs to be lived. And so Paul is writing this letter as a basis of instruction because that was the desire of the church. But there were a few that were still, they were rabble-rousers, if you will. They were causing some difficulty. They were saying, oh, no, no, that's too hard. Or, oh, no, Paul doesn't have authority to do that. that that's not what God would really want. And Paul is trying to correct that and show that, yes, Jesus has complete ownership and authority over the life of a follower of Christ. He owns it. He, he purchased it on the cross. And in that purchase of owning, He gives you freedom like no other. But the freedom to be used for His work, for His kingdom. And this is for the disciple individually. This is for the church collectively. This is not just for a few select so-so. This is for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. And this letter that you see about four major emphasis if you will that paul just keeps coming back to so as we read these uh, through this uh, next series of study through second corinthians you're going to be hearing about these and you'll be like yep that's one of those key points again it's right there uh first key point was that god was in christ that that, it, that jesus was not just some nobody or just some dude in a bathrobe that jesus was god in the flesh and and through him god was reconciling the world to himself and he also was giving to this church the ministry of reconciliation that only what jesus too could did could reconcile a human soul but what jesus has also done is, is he entrusted himself to say i'm giving you this gift so that you may help spread this gift to others that this is what reconciliation looks like and that not only that but true ministry in christ's name it's going to involve two major things suffering oh i don't want that and victory struggle and overcoming pain and triumph Not only that, but that's what true ministry would look like. It's going to involve those things. Some things are going to be good. Some things are not going to be so great. But in it, God is going to work. Not only that key truth, but serving Christ means ministering in His name to many various needs of the many people, not just the things that we are convenienced to do or feel comfortable with. And then ultimately, leaders in ministry if they're going to lead the church, they're going to need support to do so. They're going to need to be people that are respected, but at the same time encouraged and shaped and defined by those people. They need trust from those to who they minister. But here on the topic of comfort, let's deal with that one first. We don't have time to deal with every single one of those key truths today, but we're going to see how they deal with the topic of 
comfort that comes from Christ. And what does the Scripture reveal to the church on the subject of comfort from Christ? One of the things it really reveals to us is a characteristic of God Himself. In fact, we see two characteristics out of the many about who God is. And they are that one, that God is compassionate and two, God is comforter. Unlike any other, God is compassionate and God is a comforter. What does that mean for us? It says in verse um, verse 3 that He is the Father of mercies. The Father of compassion. He is compassionate to us. You see, this act of God's compassion is a God that sees us and, and even though He is ultimately holy, ultimately righteous, ultimately just. And we deserve something of punishment, of penalty because of who we are. Because if God is completely holy, completely just, completely righteous, we can be honest enough with ourselves, at least I hope we can, when we look at our life and be like, well, I'm not any of those things. And if what happens whenever I encounter someone who is all those things? I would probably think I'm in a world in a heap of trouble. The Bible lets us know that, that that it is all of us, every single one of us that fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because all have sinned. But God is one that does not give us as we deserve. He is compassionate. He gives us mercy. He relents on what we deserve when we call on Him. He makes the way for His compassion to be reconciled with His justice. And He did it through paying the price for us. Instead of letting it drop on us, He says, I'll let it fall on me. And that in itself is to give us comfort. That in itself is to show, wow, God, You have mercy and compassion like no other. But it's also to make us think about some moment. Where is my compassion in relation to what You've done for me? If this is who you are, and and I call myself a Christian, a a follower of Christ, then how do I match that? What is my mercy level looking like in light of that? And I want to warn you, it's not something that you can build up or or boost up by your own bootstraps, but it's something that says, God, you're going to have to help me with that because I am not this way naturally. I I won't be honest, as as the pastor here, I am not this way naturally. I have to pray, God, I need help in this. And sometimes I just don't get it. But God is able to work in us to show that He can push compassion through us and show others who He is through the work in us. And not only in that compassion that He is the Father of mercies, but He is the God of all comfort. He is the God of all comfort. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say God is the remover of all conflict. It says that God is the God of all comfort. But it does not say He's the remover of all conflict. In fact, the, as, as Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words, he's saying that affliction is going to happen. In particular, it's going to happen for the Christian. Now, that doesn't mean we go around with a victim mentality and we go, woe is me, the world hates me, everybody's out and against me, and I just, I just can't even do anything. Let me just go sit in my lazy boy. And check out. That is not what is there. That God is the God of all comfort. That in His giving of peace that surpasses understanding, it's something that encounters us even in the midst of it. 
even if it's not removed. That God gives us comfort, all comfort. Now what we need to notice in that all comfort does not mean that God is giving an all pass on sin either. But God comforts us in the middle of living and striving after His holiness when affliction comes even in the light of that. Whenever the circumstances of our world seem to push against us and and we seem to want to dim down our flame and, and flicker and not want to actually be bright for the faith. God says, I give you comfort. This may not be a battle against flesh and blood that you're doing. It may just be you're having a bad week. But I'm there with you. Because I'm the God of all comfort. We see characteristics of God Himself. And that's where we need to found everything. Because if we don't filter it through who He is, we're going to just come up with our own ideas. We're going to come up with our own list of what looks good, what looks holy, what looks pleasing, what is right and how others are wrong because they're not like me. They don't sing like me. They don't talk like me. They don't, they don't have the same lingo. They don't dress like me. Whatever it is. We'll come up with all our own rules. But when we filter through God and we say, God, wow, you are holy and just, and I need to match my life up to that. Thank you for rescuing me and showing me mercy. Thank you for your comfort, all comfort. Even though the conflict does not disappear, God, you are with me. And what greater promise could there be than that? We need this. Because if we miss this, we miss it all. This is what the Scripture reveals to the church on the subject of comfort. It starts with looking at the nature of who God is Himself. Not to miss it. Not only that, do we see the characteristics of God Himself. We see the conflicts in God's people. We see afflictions. He says He comforts us in all our afflictions. And I'm thankful that that word all is there. I'm thankful that it's there. That it's not just in a few of our afflictions. That it's in all. That, that covers a pretty big deal. Because when it says in all of our afflictions, it covers the biggest affliction of all. And that is the affliction that abides on every human soul as a result of sin. Jesus deals with that. He deals with that conflict. He doesn't remove all conflict, but He's going to deal with that one. And one day when we meet Him, that affliction will be removed. That affliction will be teared away. There will be a place that we are with the Lord Jesus where sin cannot abide and will not. But what God does remove is the penalty of the afflictions of our sin. Here's the thing that won't be removed until Jesus returns, though. The fallenness of our world. You see, because of sin, we live in a fallen place. We live in a place where there's disease, a place where there's hatred, a place where there's violence, a place where there's poverty, a place where there's differences that cause us to fight one another, a place where there's death. And Jesus will one day bring a reckoning to that. But while we are here, until that day, we are going to see the affliction, the effects of that fallenness around us. But God will deal with the conflict of sin in our soul. When we trust in Him, He deals with that affliction. And not only with that affliction, He deals with the afflictions of suffering. From the common to the severe, God comforts us in all our affliction. That word all. Three letters in the English language, but it is so powerful. So awesome that God says, this is what I have promised you. But He does it with a purpose. 
And he does it through a, a plan. His conflict, that's conflict that's in God's people, he brings the cure to God's people, for God's people, through the gospel. That he says, once you see who I am, and then you can see the gravity and the offense of sin, you will also see the way I am so compassionate, the way I bring a cure, the way I actually deal with conflict of the uttermost affliction. It's through the sufficiency of my Son. If Him is the only way, that is why the, the message of Jesus is the only way is so incredibly important. I know it seems so exclusive, and it is. But it's exclusive because the one true only God says, I am making the one true only way so that you may have the one true life. I bring it by taking the punishment on myself because I was the only one true person that could take that fall. And it actually count for everyone. And based on what he has done, he presents us that personal responsibility. I have made this gift available and now I'm making it known to you so that you may personally receive it and respond to it. And when you do, you will see the gravity of your eternal destination shifted. That eternity hangs in the balance based on what you do with Jesus. And eternity also hangs in the balance on what we do to share Jesus brothers and when we know him that's where our life begins to shift we start seeing things and saying god in light of you how could i ever live in darkness how could i ever do these things that i once did and life begins transforming as we know his know him through his word seeing who he is seeing what he's done hearing him speak we say god help mold me like you because you provided the only cure for my conflict you are compassionate you are comforter but when God brings that cure, we see in verse 4, He puts a commission in our lives. A commission to God's people. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that... So that what? That means so that something's going to happen. This is reaction. It's like a catalyst moment. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Why would we want to comfort any, someone in any kind of affliction? Because God dealt with all of ours. Why would we say, well, there's some afflictions I'm not going to deal with. In any kind of affliction. Through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Because we realize it's not in us. But it is always through Him. It is always available to Him. Paul goes on to write, what is the purpose of this commission? Is that in affliction, we may comfort. That while we are going through conflict, while we are going through pain, while these moments of suffering and intolerable moments are happening, we can clearly communicate that there is a God who comforts us. That it may look like the world of hell is broke loose on the world of men. But we are not shaken because we have a God who conquers hell. That's the confidence and the comfort we give to people in the middle of our suffering. That our witness is not something like, oh, they're in denial. Or they're just a little loopy. No, we have God with us. What could we ever desire more? What could we ever need more? And in the middle of affliction, we're able to comfort by saying we have a God who perseveres and gives us endurance. And in that affliction, not only may we comfort, but we may clarify so we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, that He's giving us this because He Himself is not unfamiliar with suffering. He suffered for our sake and He gives us the ability to know His grace. And it overflows to us. So through Christ, our comfort overflows. And if we are afflicted, there's that comfort verse, our comfort overflows. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and for your salvation. Not that if I go through pain, I can save you. That is not what it's trying to communicate here, so lest we be um, misled. But something about when seeing someone go into a time of struggle, we either have two moments that we respond to. We either tune out, click, I don't want to see that, or we tune in. Can't help but look. Can't help but notice what's going on. Wow, you see those people responding? I'm so glad that they're there. Wow, do you see how that person who's going through that is dealing with that? That's crazy. I want to know more about that person. It springs forth an opportunity for us to be clear about who God is and what God desires for our life. And being clear is a very necessary thing in what we communicate about God. A few weeks ago, I had a fun moment. I laugh about it. It's my favorite Charlie story. So, uh, for those of you that know Charlie, we love Charlie. Uh, this is his parents, you know, Travis and Deanna here. And, uh, man, he can run. He can just go, 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 go. And sometimes he goes without people noticing. And we have to hunt him in the church. We have to, we have to find him. And I know that can put a stress on mom and dad because it's like, okay, where's my kid? You know, that's that, that, you know, you feel like your heart stopping moment. So we found him one day, and, and, and I just happened to be walking down the hallway, and I could see, you know, Travis and the editor trying to talk to him and say, hey, you really, really hurt our heart doing that. And, and so I'm talking to him, I said, you know, I said, you know, God, you know, the guy we've been talking about, he really wants you to obey your parents. And, and I have my Mississippi accent, I talk real fast at times. And his response, not hearing me clearly, he goes, God wants me to pee my pants instead of obey my parents. And I... <laughs> And I just had to take a moment, I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever been so misheard as in that moment. And I was like, no, no, God does not want you to do that. And I said, no, God wants you to obey your parents. He wants you to be honorable. And I, I shared a little bit, and he's like, I asked, do you get that? And he's like, yeah, and he didn't smile. I mean, he's still running like crazy, but it's one of my favorite Charlie moments. I, in it, I just told me also, I shared with Deanna, we were laughing about this yesterday, and, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to use that as an illustration because the need for clarity and how things get communicated so clearly when people are going through suffering, ears are open, eyes are open, people are listening a little bit more. And we need to make sure that we're not just like trying to, you know, wheel and deal an opportunity, but we don't miss that which God is, can do in the middle of our suffering. And it could bring about the salvation of someone who clearly hears about who this God is and sees what He has done and trusts in what He has said. That in affliction we may comfort, we may clarify about salvation. That is our, post, our, our posture. This is what is the intent of our life. But Paul says in this, there's days where we're not going to be suffering as bad. What do you do in those days? What, I mean, you may be in here and be like, well, now I feel bad because I'm not suffering for Jesus. Guess I better go get some pain. 
What do you do when you're like, well, God, I'm grateful for your blessing right now. What, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Do I need to go hunt conflict? No, he says, if we are comforted, it's for your comfort as well. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. If, if we're good, it's also meant for us to communicate to your good, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. So you've seen someone go through affliction, and now you've seen somebody go through it, and what you see in their life is a consistency that says, in God is my victory. In God is my consistent, compassionate one. And in this moment of patient endurance, when we see that in victory, it's giving us this hope that yes, God is someone I must cling to. It is someone I must cling to. Not only when the ship is tanking and I feel like everything is sinking, but in all days. And not only that I would cling to Him, but I must also continue and commit with the people of God so that I'm not left alone. That I can see what patient endurance looks like and it can shape me. It can redefine me. That I am not like the foolish one that's seeking just to learn everything from first-hand experience, but I am the wise one who sees people that have walked this path before, that have God has given them years before me, that I may say, wow, why would I be foolish and repeat the exact same things that they walked through when I can see what endurance and trust in the Lord looks like beforehand? That's the way of the wise. That's why Paul says our hope for you is firm. Because we know that you as a church, you share in these sufferings. That we're not doing this alone. We're in this together. And so as we share in sufferings, we also will share in comfort. When we share in comfort, we declare God is compassionate. And when we share in comfort, we share that God has a gospel that clearly handles our deepest conflict and helps us be consistent in our suffering. And it testifies that this God is good. As we go about ministering to His Word, we don't miss the opportunity. Friends, I hate it if you have to go through conflict and suffering. It's, it's painful. It stinks. But maybe we need to pause and say, God, help me not just strive after a lazy boy type faith. Help me understand what you're doing. And I may not get it all because I'm me and you're God and obviously there's an intellect difference there. But also, don't help me miss out on what you want me to be in the middle of this. Help me not defame your name. Help me not belittle who you are and saying, well, God's unfair. No, God is compassionate. And if God is unfair, it's on His behalf because He took our punishment for us. And it will remind us that God gives comfort, but it may not be as we want it or as we desire. But nevertheless, it is true because God is who He says He is. He does what He says He will do. And if He was willing to go to the cross to rescue us from sin, He will walk with us in this life of suffering. And He'll do it for His glory. And it will bring about our good and help someone else know the Gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the day that we've had. I thank you for it being Mother's Day. People who demonstrate ones that want to be compassionate and comforting to their children in their time of need. And I just think about that, how, how beautiful that little picture that you've gifted them with that ability 
but it's found even greater capacity in you. The infinite, holy, loving God who gives grace in our time of need. So Jesus, I pray that in this moment as we respond to You based on what You've told us about who You are in the Scripture and what You've done for us and and what You've said for us and how we're supposed to trust, God, help us to do it in a way that says we worship You. We trust You. And for those that are battling with what that looks like, God, speak to their soul right now. Through the power of Your Word, through the might of Your Spirit, speak to their soul. And help them know just what the first step is of following after You. You may not totally open their eyes to see the whole plan in the next few days, but you can tell them what that next step is and help them to take it as they trust You. Because You're God and You're good. And You've granted them this moment, this divine appointment for a purpose. So they might know it. That they might know You. Thank You that we have this time. Now help us to respond in a way that is pleasing towards You. In a way that changes us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm asking you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed at this moment. Every week we have this time of invitation. We believe it's so valuable and important because, as we said earlier, the Word of God is so unique in that it tells us what it says and then we find out what it means and we see how it applies. But then it presents us this choice. It's not like another work of fiction or document. It's like, oh, that's interesting or, oh, that was fun. It actually presents us a choice of like, wow, this is who really God is and now what am I going to do about it? And I realize in this place, as we have visitors, uh, we have uh, people that have been here many, many times. That there are people that are probably wondering, what is their next step with God? What, what does He really want from me? Well, first of all, I would tell you that if, if God is in your pressing on your heart, a need to draw near to Him, God is telling you, you need salvation. That's the first thing God wants to give to us. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate plan of the Scripture. It shows us that work of redemption that God was making a way for mankind to be re- reconciled to Him. That's not some wishy-washy, hopeful statement that God wants salvation for you. No, it's something God paid for, for you. If you've never trusted in Him, you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that impression of your heart is is just torn open. You feel it. You know it. Maybe it's time for you to take that step of faith and place your trust in Jesus. And they say, well, Pastor, I don't know what that looks like. What does that even mean? Well, first it means admitting your need for a Savior. I shared this illustration that just if you were lost at sea or lost in the woods or drowning, you would want to cry out for help. It's that admitting, hey, things are not going to be right just by myself. I need God's help. And not only admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, but admitting that Jesus and believing that He is that one that God provided, that He is that only one. Because He's the only one who could pay it. He's the only one that died for us. He's the only one that rose from the dead. He's the only one that extends grace. He's the only one to be called Lord. And lastly, it's confessing. Saying, God, as I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and I believe that You are Lord, I confess my sin to You. I ask You to forgive it. 
I confess that I need to place my trust in You as Lord and Savior. And this is what I want to do. Save me, God. And the Bible tells us that when someone believes in their heart and they confess to their lips that that person shall be saved. And that God does not turn away a heart that He draws. And if that's you, and you need to make that step today, I will be up here at the front to help you walk through that, maneuver that, if you will. It would be my great joy to share what that looks like. But maybe that's not the choice for you. Maybe that's not where you're at. Maybe you're already a follower of Christ. Maybe you've already placed your faith in Jesus. But there's something that God is saying, I'm calling you out to this. Maybe it's abandoning a habitual sin that's been a part of your life that's plaguing you. And I'll just be honest, you just can't go on in habitual sin and expect to be captivated by the holiness of God. Something's got to shift. And, well, God's holy and complete and all He is. So the shifting's on us. Maybe it's saying, I need to be connected with the church. I, I have not been connected. I have not been committed to a church. I've not been planted, and I need that in my life. I need somewhere where I can be surrounded by others to encourage me and, and show what this life looks like so I may grow and do what God has called me to do in ministry. Maybe your step is a public declaration saying, I'm a follower of Christ, but I've never made it public through baptism. I don't know what it is that God may have for you, but in this moment of response... You can certainly respond to Him as He leads right there where you're at. But should you need someone to talk to, someone to counsel with you, answer some questions, I'm here at the front. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. But you follow as God would lead in these moments.